Okay, let's hear a collective aw. Yeah. We'd really like to make Valentine's Day special for someone, and so we are going to give away a car. This key was found in the parking lot. So if it's your key, you may want to get it, or it'll be part of the uh, Valentine's Day gift today. Um, we're glad that you're here. Uh, happy Valentine's Day to you. I, I would like to say as we begin, uh, we chose about a week ago on the 7th to move into a new phase. It's kind of that simultaneous kids programs going on with the service, and we picked the two coldest Sundays of the year to do that. So... Um, those of you who are here in Hardy, Minnesotans, we are so grateful that you're a part of the service with us. Those of you who are snuggled up at home and watching uh, on live stream or later this week as you listen to either the podcast or you listen to the live stream or watch it, um, we invite you to um, be a part of what God's doing in our lives and in this place. And so one of the things I want to say for those of you, Valentine's Day, I know for some can be really difficult no matter where you're at, no matter, um, maybe it's, it's just not where you wanted, uh, your life to be right now. And, and we are with you and we love you. And, and for everybody, I do want to say this on Valentine's Day. Uh, and I'd ask you to kind of look in. God loves you. Right where you are, just as you are. He is, as we sang, crazy, foolishly, in some ways, in love with you. And it's that love that you begin to understand that shows your own heart and your own need of him that allows you to trust so that he can do more than just love you right where you are, just as you are. But as you begin to trust that love and begin that relationship with him, he's able to take you from right where you are to places um, you, you could not imagine to think of or ask for. That's the kind of God that you have who loves you. He did not come from heaven to earth in order to impress us with his wealth, his power. He did not come to impress us with his ability to influence. That wasn't what he was about, although we will all be impressed with him when you come to know him and see him for who he is. Um, there's all this thing today about getting, you know, there's this kind of this influencer thing that, you know, you hear, um, in social media and you try and get as many likes or follows as you can. Do you know who has the most, um, subscribers in, in social media? A guy named Cristiano Ronaldo. He has 122 million people following him. And, and then there's another one who follows right behind that. I wonder if you can guess Shakira with about 100 million followers, subscribers, and, and then right behind her is me um, <laughs> in my dreams. No, you laugh. Uh, yes. I just want to say, even Jesus didn't come as an influencer to inflate his own ego. He came as an influencer to improve your condition even as his condition met with hardship and sacrifice and eventually death. That's how much he loves us. And so when we look at Mark 10, 45, this verse, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life for a ransom for many. I want you to say it again with me. We've been saying it throughout the service. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom 
for many. I want us to look at this verse and then understand a bit of the context. I'll walk us through it. And what I want you to do is to look at Jesus. We're going to look at Jesus and then we're going to ask some questions as we walk with him through this recording of, of this historical narrative that we're, we're told about through the book of Mark. As you look at his life, it says in verse, as we go all the way back into chapter 10, verse 32, we're going to be looking at 32 through verses 45 in, in the book of Mark. It says, they went now on the way up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. So he has done all this ministry in Galilee. He's now on his way, making his way, and they would say up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem was a mount. So even though they were coming from the north, they were going up to this mount of Zion, Jerusalem. And, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. So you get this picture of Jesus, disciples, and then a crowd. And the disciples are not necessarily 12. It's those who kind of customarily hung out with him. And it says the disciples were filled with awe and the people following behind were overwhelmed with fear. The New International Version translates it this way. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way and the disciples were astonished. And those who followed were afraid. Those who followed, the followers who were, who were behind were afraid because they knew that Jesus was moving right into enemy territory. He, they knew that the religious elite of that day, the religious scholars of that day, opposed him and didn't want to in any way endorse anything he was doing or saying. So Luke adds these words. As the disciples um, are astonished, Luke says, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely, the same same, same um, topic, same historical narrative, resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And the idea of, of resolute is the idea that he set his face like flint. There would be nothing that would hinder or stop him. He was determined to move in this direction. He was ready to walk right into enemy fire. It's kind of that picture you get, you know, if you ever watch one of these um, World War II movies where the guy is at the trench and he, he leads the way and jumps out in front of everybody right into the teeth of the enemy. And so the first thing I want us to look at is Jesus was on a mission. He was determined to get there. He was determined to go to Jerusalem. He was determined to get there and to make an impact with his very life. His face was turned outward, not inward. He was resolved, his face like flint, ready to sacrifice whatever it would take to get where his father had called him to. And so I asked this question for us to consider. Whose mission are we on? Whose mission are you on? Jesus was on a mission. He was determined to get there. So much of the American church today is not turned outward but is turned inward it, it, it's more about us at times i uh every once in a while I will listen to one of the messages that i give and and when i listen to it i am i'm always a bit feeling um, a sense of pain because i go did i really say that sometimes i'll actually listen to it and i'll count the number of ums that i have in it and and then i become a little bit discouraged have you ever stopped to listen to the message of the church in how they talk about themselves or they talk about their experience. And it amazes me because I think our conversation is so much more like the culture around us. It's much more consumeristic when you listen to it. 
If you were to kind of stop and play the recording back of what the church seems to say, here are some of the things they say. I'm looking for another church because I want to go where I'm being fed. Not where we can learn to feed ourselves, much less learn to feed others. It, it begs the question, who's the church for with regard to mission? And, and I thought about this in regard to my own kids. I've got some grandkids, and our grandkids, there's, a, there's kind of a new way of, of feeding little one-year-olds and as they begin to learn to eat. I used to, as a, as a dad, would take whatever, you know, like the Gerber stuff, which you don't do anymore, it's all natural, and I'd take the spoon, and I would try and coax my kids into eating. Anybody ever done that, where you take a little spoon? And then I, I love doing this. I'd make, you know, airplane sounds, or like a train, and just different things to try and get them to open their mouth. They don't, with my kids and my grandkids, they don't do that anymore. The kid just takes a, an avocado and, and just starts munching on it. At a very early age, they learn to self-feed. And I think that's really interesting. Because when I look at the church and I listen to it where we kind of say, well, I can't go in here because I'm not being fed. It's a very interesting thing. Because I remember when my kids were little and I did that little spoon thing, it would be very interesting that if I did that little spoon thing and then they grow up and they go off to college and then they come back and I'm still cutting their meat. So they're like 18 and I'm having to take the meat and go like this. Something's wrong. Because what we're all called to do when it comes to the church is learn to be self-feeders. We're, we're to learn what it means to take God's word so that we can begin to, to, to ingest it and take it in ourselves. I, I listen to what else you might hear someone say, I need to be ministered to. As if ministry is something that happens to us instead of something that we make happen through us for other people. And just play the tapes. You can do it yourself. And you listen to the tapes and as a person is, is leaving a worship service and they say, I didn't get anything out of it. As if the purpose of the worship is about me. Which again forces the question, did God get anything out of you today? Right? I sometimes wonder if there is a sense of apathy towards God and people are leaving the church. Not only have they not become self-feeders, but the other side of it is that they look at church as being something for me. And so at a certain point you go, why would I want to come as something for me rather than understanding this is something that we, we have an audience that we come before God with our hearts and say, God, here we are. One of my favorite uh, memories is when I first came to this church and as I was beginning the ministry here and... Um, there was a guy who came to our church, he was in his early 20s, and at that point, I, I don't believe he was married yet, some of you remember him, Dominic Broda, some of you remember Dominic, and he, he now is actually the senior pastor at a church just down the road, Maple Plain Community Church. But when he came, I do as I often do, I, I, I tried to connect with him because I like to connect with those who are in their 20s as they come to the church. I'm always looking for a way to, to encourage them and to walk alongside them and to help them, you know, bring them along. And I remember saying to him, well, there aren't a lot of 20-year-olds here. They're just, you know, we're not, we're not, we don't have a lot of those. And, and so I was trying, in a sense, to sell him about staying and, and being a part of the church. And he stopped me. And he said, Pastor, I'm not here for what the church can give me. I'm here for what I can give to the church. And I thought that was so refreshing. And, 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 and began to, you know, Dominic helped in the worship and had an opportunity to grow and to mentor. Jesus said, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was on a mission, and he was determined to get there. What's your mission? 
We've been saying in this whole here to there reset, part of the reset is what we've said as a congregation that we would really like to touch people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we'd like to focus and embrace and empower the emerging younger generations coming up. And then we all said this, that we want to do this together. But there I want to share with you is more than some place, because in the sense it's a place of impact, but there is more about about Jesus. Because when we get there, we will look like Jesus. And if you look like Jesus, you will have influence and impact. It's not even a, a matter of trying to do that. So here's, as you look at Jesus, what was his determination? What was his mission? It was how many people could he touch with his father's love through his life? That was kind of his mission. I've had the opportunity to meet as I've been doing some of these groups with some of our, you know, those millennials and Gen Zs in our church, and I've been so encouraged. And one of the groups that I meet with on a Tuesday morning and another one on a Monday morning, I challenged them to come to the 24-7 prayer time. I thought, I'll take an hour here and another hour here, and about two or three of them showed up. And we had this incredible time praying for our city and for what God was leading us in. And it was just so cool. I had an opportunity um, just a few weeks ago is talking to one of our younger families, and, and their question to me was so encouraging. They just said, how do we bring more people our age into our church community? I'm excited about what God is doing and what he's awakening in people's hearts. Jesus was on a mission. He was determined to get there, which forces each and every one of us to say, what's our mission? So if we took that mission, we look at that, let's look at the next thing as you go along. Because it's not about a place, it's about a way of life. It's about who you're becoming. It's becoming like Jesus. And, and so as you think about that, I challenge you about your, you know, think about your own personal reset. Are you willing to be outwardly missional? Here's how the story continues. Jesus says, okay guys. So he's going along, he's in front of them, he stops at a certain point and he, he says, okay guys, um, I, and he calls them together in a huddle and he goes, here's what's going to happen. And he starts to lay out for them exactly what is going to happen in the future. He knows they're afraid, he knows they're astonished. Listen to what it says in verse 33. Taking the 12 disciples aside, Jesus once more began to describe everything that was about to happen to him. Listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man, which is how he would refer to himself, is how he was, the Messiah was referred to in the Old Testament, will be, destroyed, will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip, and will kill him. But after three days, he will rise again. Now, at that point, I don't even know if they heard the last statement. They're caught up with all the stuff that's going to happen. They're, they're aware of what Roman execution was like. And here's the part that really amazes me. I, 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 it shouldn't really amaze me because all I have to do is look at my own heart and, and I get a good sense of, of, of what's going on in these disciples' hearts. Because if I look at my own heart, I am so slow to understand the ways of God. I can be so self-absorbed with my own stuff and my own, you know, you can do that with your own family. It's very easy for me to either want to be in a place of, of impressing or approval or seeking to control an outcome. That in some ways, when I'm amazed at these guys, I'm really just looking at myself. So as Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem, he's walking towards this potential death. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to be sentenced to die by his own community. He is then going to be handed over to a Roman group for execution. 
He's going to be mocked, spit upon, flogged, and then killed. And as they're walking along, catch this. This is what amazes me. Two of his closest friends approach Jesus. And this is what he says in verse 35. Then James and John, sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. Well, what's your request, Jesus asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit on places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. What I find interesting is Jesus on a mission, but you also see this incredible motive in his heart. Here are these guys. They, they come up and they ask these questions when Jesus is, is going to be facing some of the worst things in his life, but there's a reason why he's doing it. Because the motive of his heart is that he really cares. He is driven by love in his heart. And and you see this contrast is so great. It's about me, and that's my mission. And then Jesus, it's about you and my love for you. And so it forces the same question, not only what what mission are we on, but do we really care about others? Do you ever read in the Bible, and you just read these stories, and and I, I sometimes go... I can't believe these guys. Here's Jesus walking to his death, about to endure cruel punishment and shame on the cross. And they're thinking about themselves. The greatest enemy in our culture, when it comes to seeing people come into relationship with Jesus, it is not about the university teaching critical race theory. It's not about the fact that the evangelical church has become entangled with, nation, with political nationalism or even that its leaders and some of its pastors have been found in sexual scandal. We go, these are all horrible things. We recognize this. Nor is it the fact that, that the nuns and duns are apotheists. Those are not, those are not the greatest enemy. The greatest enemy to our culture is what's in our own heart. Is there a huge, is there a desire? Do we care? Do we want to love as you look at Jesus? It's not about something out there. It's not about something that is external to us. It's about something in here. Jesus wasn't motivated by a kind of a should do this or even I have to do this. But he was motivated by a sense of deep love in his heart. And so I'm going to be really bold and and, um, hold back nothing here. Our greatest enemy to getting there, having an impact in the generations to come, to do what we've said we want to do, is you and me. Listen to what it says. Um, There's a Pew Form study that reveals the nuns and duns believe religious organizations are too concerned with money and power, rules and politics, and many believe religious organizations do very little to protect morality except abortion, and for many known to condemn homosexuality, that they believe the religious organizations are the last to the table when it comes to issues of justice like race, poverty, and abuse. The religiously unaffiliated millennials and Gen Zs are looking for groups, it says, that really care. They've had enough talk, because we talked about this a few weeks ago, talking to them. It, you know, tell them won't work. Show them the attractional model that, the, the, that you use to kind of get seekers to come and be attracted doesn't work. In fact, one author says it this way. 
Advertising great music, specialty coffee, and a relaxed atmosphere will not draw them to church. They can get better music, coffee, and atmosphere whenever and wherever they want it. I go, yeah, that's true. The question is, do we really care? We talk a lot about love, but do we really love? Do we really do what we say and believe in action what we say we believe? Sometimes I think we get so caught up as evangelicals in the sense of of believing, if, if as long as we just believe the right thing, and believing the right things eventually becomes almost like a work. Does that make sense? You know, if you just believe the right things, then you're saved. That's not it. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. Not saying that believing the right things aren't right, but in, in, in the day when Jesus walked with the Pharisees, it was all about, are you, is he, he's not believing the right things, and believing the right things can then become a work. That you do, rather than a humble brokenness, acknowledgement of your sin and the depths of that, and knowing only this that Jesus can save. The religiously unaffiliated are looking for authentic relationships where people are engaged with compassionate causes. As you go on in the story, verse 38 is interesting. It says, when the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. Now they're just angry. When a me-first kind of mindset takes precedence over God's mission, there will be anger, confusion, and division. Just think of your own family. As soon as everyone starts claiming their own rights, their own comforts, their own needs become most important, what they want is central to what is going to be the driving force of what they bring to the table, you will have division. The church always divides when we put ourselves, our preferences, comforts, and needs, our rights and privileges and wants ahead of what God is calling us to do. As the story continues, it says, So Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lorded over their people, and the officials flaunt their authority over the, those under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even, here's the verse, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was not about getting power or about using his power over other people. He was not about power so he could control others or control his own life. The question you have to ask yourself is this. Are we using our power and influence to serve others? Are you using your power and influence to serve others? 1045, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others. You have been given gifts to serve others. Are you using those? You've been given some of you positions of influence. Are you leveraging them in a way? so that they have the ability to be used by God to touch others. Some of you have been given wealth and given means of money. Are you giving any of that away for the sake of others? You know, our vision is this. It's Imagine Church that does whatever it takes to serve the Metro West in the name of Jesus. 
and a lot of people, when we went through this whole time of focus groups, had some really good questions around that. They said, why do we use the word serve? Aren't we here to really um, bring people into a relationship with Jesus? Aren't, shouldn't we be using different words? And I just have to share with you, the reason we chose the word serve was out of a lot of prayer and reflection. It was primarily because of this verse. This verse that says it's really important that we don't say save, because save isn't our job. That's God's job, although we want everyone to be saved. It is not share the gospel, declare the gospel, preach the gospel. We didn't want to use those words because what happens when your credibility is where it is today, you have to move to a place where you say, we are going to serve. This is not about me, but it's about us serving. So that as you serve, Jesus says he gave his life as a ransom for many. And so the idea of the word serve is really important when we talk about our our vision and mission. Because if you want to, like I will do... um, counseling with couples and when when the relationship and the credibility of a person's word and talk and and what they say believe is at a low here's what i say what you need to do let's just say it's to a husband what what's really important right now is that your words begin have to begin to be matched by your actions there needs to be a consistency you need to express express, not through words, not by wanting that person to be back, but through your words, you need to grow in character so that character is something that can be trusted. And in many ways, for the church today, for us to be able to be in a place where people can trust, it's because we serve them. I remember we went uh, with some local pastors over to the Wyzetta School District. We met with the superintendent and a number of people in the school district. And as we sat down with them, it was interesting because they were very skeptical, very afraid. What do these pastors want from us? So they've had some pretty negative stuff. And it was in preparation for our first serve day that I went and we met with them. And we sat down with them and we just said, how can we serve you? That was just what we said to them. And their their response was, you mean you want to serve us in our mission to help educate children, we said, yeah. And there was this nervousness of like, what are you, are you looking for a convocation? Are you looking for a way to send, you know, give some tracks? What are you, what are you trying to do? And we just said, no, we just want to serve you. And that's what we've been seeking to do in our, in our community. And many of you have done that. We just sent the other day cards just thanking teachers in this difficult time. And so there's a reason why we use the word serve. Because we really believe that one by one, not the church as a whole, but one by one, as you serve other people and you express your faith, you will build credibility for God. He doesn't need us to do it, but he uses us. When you've lost your voice and your credibility is at an all-time low and when your actions are no longer matching your words and when trust has been shattered, what do you do? You serve. And Jesus said that. He's not only determined in that way, but he was determined to give his life as a payment for the sake of others. And the question is, are we willing to die daily to ourselves for the life of someone else? The reason in our vision we say a church that does whatever it takes is because from this verse... There is this sense that Jesus was willing to die to himself. And so the question we ask ourselves in in the same way is just as Jesus was willing to die at the age of 33 in the prime of his life, he's not asking necessarily you to give your life up. He's asking you at times to maybe become inconvenienced or uncomfortable or to go out of your way or in some way to serve someone beyond what you might normally do in order to love them. And so what does it take 
for you to live a whatever-it-takes kind of life. Pine Top's foundation recently came out with a recent report, and it's an interesting foundation. I don't know much about it, but they came out with a, a report called The Great Opportunity of the American Church in 2050. It examines the engagement of teens and young adults with the church. One of the most striking findings was that a majority of young adults did not go through a crisis of faith or abandon the teachings of the church. Rather, they seemingly lost interest and drifted away. According to the Great Opportunity Study, 42 million young people will disaffiliate from the church over the next 30 years. This is just a pretty recent report. This was actually given by a group called Christian Union that works with the Ivy League schools like Harvard and Yale and Stanford and and and, and a number of those. The report states, the model that served us for the last 50 years are empirically, which means by research and data, not by someone's gut, but by research and data, empirically becoming less effective in our current climate. Central to bringing about positive change will be an emphasis, and this threw me for a loop, will be an emphasis on intergenerational relationships, both in the church and in one's daily life. You're depending on people my age to somehow be connected with people who are a generation or so below me? Here's what the report goes on to say. It quotes this. Young adults don't have intergenerational relationships with multiple adults who are encouraging them, apprenticing them, and challenging them. And here's the key challenge that they wrote about in this report. In a world where isolation and mistrust, so where there's epidemic loneliness and a loss of credibility, so in a world where there's isolation and mistrust and they're the norms, Here's, the res- here's, here's, here's what the resolve is to be. Forge meaningful intergenerational relationships. Create a community. So create a community in which people enjoy spending time together and want to emulate one another's lives. It sounds like the church is supposed to be. In doing so, we lay a foundation for one of the fundamental questions that is being asked by these generations coming up. Here's the question. Am I really known... And loved by anyone. That's it. Am I really known and loved by anyone? And so I just ask you to think for a second. What one step will you take to reach out, if you're in the millennial Gen Z generation, across toward another generation? If you have found Christ, and those of us who are of the upper reaches of those generations, what will we do to reach down? What are some practical ways you can do this? I was, um, the last time I was at a dentist and a couple different other places, it's amazing, you start talking with people, they'll start talking about faith. They may, you know, it says they're apathists, they don't maybe care as much, but you start talking to them, what I found is they become pretty interested as you start talking with them. I don't even tell them about pastor, that's the last thing I usually want to tell them. But i got to share with you, there are people out there, and they're beginning to wonder, and they're beginning to say, do people really know me? Do they love me? And, and it is possible to invite them either to small groups or to a church, because here's statistics on this. 80% of people asked will, will respond to an invite. Listen to this report. I'll, I'll just kind of challenge us with this as we end. The report, The Great Opportunity, ends with this challenge. We are at a pivotal moment in the life of the American church. This was just written this summer. If we move quickly, 
We can help introduce tens of millions of young people to Jesus over the next 30 years. The report emphatically states that if the church can return to the retention rates of the Generation X just 20 years ago, we will see an additional 16 million young people come to Christ. This is what blew me away. That number, this number, would represent more people than those who came into a relationship with Christ during both Great Awakenings, the African-American church growth after the Civil War, the Azusa Revival, and every Billy Graham conversion combined. So if they hear it as their slide, if you want to just show that, we've been talking about this. And one of the things that I found as I keep reading through this verse of Scripture is Jesus says many. He doesn't even give a number. Like, I'm going to reach X amount. He just said, I'm going to be this kind of person that serves and loves and gets to know and involve myself and others, and it will have an impact on what? Many. I read last week, um, an article says, Gen Zs are listening. And it says, pastors, parents, teachers, and mentors can point this generation to the, to the life with God by helping them form a biblical worldview. You may think they're not listening, but research out just this last week says this. 70%, 73% of Gen Zs are listening. That's powerful. I'm going to ask you to listen as you would um, for a moment to this video. And I just wanted to share with you guys why I decided to get baptized today. Uh, So basically, two months ago, I decided to give my life over to Jesus. Um, This decision was a long time coming. And honestly, God has been working on my heart for a lot longer than the last two months. Um, Going to college, you know, really the lifestyle I was living was just not good. Um, It really took a toll on my spirit, on who I was as a person. And I just had gotten to a point where I didn't even recognize myself or the actions I was choosing for myself. Um, Two months ago, I just woke up one morning and I realized that this was not the lifestyle I wanted to live. And this was not the person that I wanted to be. Um, I can't explain it, but I just felt God knocking on my door, pulling on my heart and ultimately convicting me. And I surrendered over to him. Um, in the past few months, I have felt so much love and understanding that I could never feel through anyone but Jesus Christ. Um, he has brought me so many friendships, relationships, understanding, peace, just an under an overwhelming feeling of love in the last two months. And I can't even explain to you what it means to me to be able to share this with you guys today. So that was you. Yes. When was that and where? Um, so that was last June, June 2020. It was about two months after I gave my life to Jesus. Uh, I decided to get baptized at my home church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Embrace Church. So Embrace Church was a church where you did that baptism. You had just come to faith in Christ. In fact, there are a couple groups that I lead. We used a book, Talking with God, by the pastor, Adam Weber, of that church. And so that um, I'm excited about what God's doing there. And I'm excited you're here with us and, and as well. And that uh, we're going to get a little bit more into your story in a moment. Uh, but I was talking the last few weeks about um, apatheists, which is just the word apathy. And, you know, the idea of God being together. And we met after the service and talked for a little bit. And you said that 
exactly describes your generation. Do you want to share what you mean by that, Michaela? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and just off your message today, it's so good. Uh, <laughs> I truly believe that it's just a lack of interest. You know, I've been talking with so many people um, my age through school and events, and, you know, you'll ask them and they'll say, I mean, I'm not an atheist, I'm not really a Christian, I just don't think I really care. Yeah. So as you um, have been working through that, I had the opportunity also to meet um, Jordan, your your boyfriend, I take it. Happy Valentine's Day, you guys, you know. Um, so how, how do you relate? <laughs> Wait, let's talk about what you got planned. No, anyway, how do you relate to that, uh, to that word, Jordan? Yeah, I think um, when we were talking about that over the last few weeks, the thing that I thought of was, you know, my own story. You know, I grew up in a Christian home with a Lutheran background, and as I look back, you know, through high school and college, before I really started to walk with the Lord, is, I was like, gosh, you know, I, I didn't really think about it. You know, it was the world is filled with so many distractions, and, you know, I think we're so overstimulated with social media and just everything that's out there is... It just it just wasn't a thing that was a constant daily walk yeah. for me. There's just so much opportunity. What I find interesting in your case, it was just about a year ago that you joined a Tuesday morning group that I get to be a part of that's actually led by Davis Moline and Chase Hedrick, and they let me be a part of as an old guy. Um, but um, how did you end up going to that group? Yeah, um, so I, uh, I'm trying to think now. Yeah, that was about a year ago exactly. So I, at the time, pre-COVID, was living in the apartment building above where the group used to meet at a caribou out by Ridgedale. Yeah, I should just say, I got to tell you, I didn't want to go to that caribou because we were over at, at another place and it yeah. was just this big table, a little louder, but, you know, they said, yeah, let's meet around this big table. So oh, we're there. They, yeah, glad they did. Yeah. So, so, we, uh, so, so the group was meeting and I, I would go down there for coffee every once in a while on my way to work and I saw yourself and Davis and Jack Kelly and... I saw the, saw the group meeting. And I was like, "Oh, like that would be so great for me to do." You know, I I had been recently baptized back in October. I think this was the beginning of 2020, and you know, I was like, "Oh, that would, that would be great for me to get in the group." And I was really busy at the time, really going through a transformational uh, period in my life. A couple of months, COVID hit, and then during the summer, I decided, "Hey, I'm I'm going to reach out." So I reached out to Jack Kelly, and it was just. One of the best decisions that I've made, it was just I was met with so much love and care and compassion, and yeah. a lot of those guys have become really great friends. So those are guys you saw from my Zeta High School, yeah. I take it, that, yeah. and all of a sudden you go, man, and it took you time. You, like you said, six months before you ever contacted them, and it was really cool, and I, I'm glad that you're a part of the group and, uh, and doing that. Um, I'm glad you made that call. So I'm going to ask you both, you know, Michaela and Jordan, uh, you've heard us talking about a reset and about us wanting to really bring the love of Christ so that people can have a relationship with him and about wanting to embrace and empower um, the generations, those emerging generations that are coming up. And we've talked about this. What what are your thoughts around that? What do you think is needed to reach your generation? Yeah, um, I honestly think that the biggest thing that people should realize is the problem, maybe not a problem, but the the barriers with our generation is there's so many options out there. You know, you talked about influencers and um, you look, you, you know, something's not working for you. You have the newest diet or the newest book or the newest self-love, self-help, X, Y, Z. And there's just so much. Um, each one is, I think, in my opinion, equally as ineffective 
Um, and what people are really looking for is their purpose, which is obviously in Jesus Christ. And so when they don't get that, you know, they'll exhaust all their options. Well, and you were, and you said, and I was just going to say, you when we were talking about this, they'll exhaust all their options till they're old, like sixty. <laughs> Some of you who are older than than me, who are you know, I'm forty. But anyway, um, so what about you? You, what's your thoughts on that, Jordan? Yeah, I, I I couldn't agree more about you know the distractions and the self help culture, and it really just back to being overstimulated. And a lot of what you were talking about today. Um, I think the biggest thing for me listening to the message today and what you shared is I think we just need to be in a time uh, where we're focused on building a bridge. If I think to, you know, the people who help me the most in my walk with the Lord and just, you know, anything in my life, it's been people who were a generation or two ahead of me that took the time to listen to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and just built a relationship with me and built a bridge. And so, you know, when the time was right, I, I, I felt comfortable walking across the bridge. I felt comfortable yeah. taking that step. So. Thanks, you guys. Yeah. You know what? It takes a lot of courage to come up and, and share. So thank you so much for doing that. We appreciate it. I'm going to have the worship team come and, and lead us. If you, It's like 11, so if you need to leave, that's up to you. Um, we're going to sing a song, um, and we're excited about some of the things coming up. I know we have a food packing thing with every every meal. Uh, we'd love for people to check that out and be a part of that. But we're going to end this time in, in worship. Let's stand together and do that.